back to a better world. This is your host, Mitchell J. Rabin, and I'm very glad you're joining us again today. Today, we're going to have a very interesting show. We're going to have a roundtable discussion with some very wonderful, eminent people who are doing wonderful things in the world. In a world where we are so exposed uh, largely through the media to the things that are going wrong, rarely do we hear enough about the good things, the great initiatives, the amazing projects, and the hard work being done by so many people on the side to uphold humanity and help our whole species, in a sense, as well as planet, move to its next evolutionary level. And today, I dare say, we have a group of such individuals who will be speaking with us in the roundtable called 11 Days of Global Unity. And this is based on the work of the founder of We the World, Rick Ulfick, who has developed a global platform to unite and amplify the efforts of people, organizations, and movements working around the world for the common good. Rick will be joining us in a moment, along with Jonathan Granoff, who is an attorney, author, and international advocate, emphasizing the legal, ethical, and spiritual dimensions of human development and security, with a specific focus on advancing the rule of law to address the threats posed by nuclear weapons. We'll also be joined by Audrey Scott Williams, who is the co-chair of the Red Flame for Freedom movement to end modern-day slavery, human trafficking, mass incarceration, child poverty, and domestic enslavement. As you can imagine, Audrey is very busy and has her hands full with all of that. Having led the Trail of Dreams World Peace walkers over six continents, and the 13 Moonwalk for Peace across America, Audrey has been a leader and a pioneer in bringing these types of issues to the foreground for discussion as well as for transformation. And our last guest today, not least at all, where it's a round table, it's a circular table, is Philip Helmick, who has been on our show a few times, along with Rick for prior roundtables, who is the Director of Peace at the Shift Network, an international social enterprise mobilizing educational tools and cultivating alliances worldwide. Philip has dedicated most of his life to global and local peace-building initiatives. His partner, Stephen Dynan, has also been on our airwaves a few times and will again be soon. So I want to just welcome each of you to A Better World Radio. It's really a a pleasure and an honor to have each of you on. This is uh, very timely because Rick has all sorts of good things for us all up his sleeve, as he does always at this time of the year, helping us start, in a sense, at least you could say the Jewish New Year, off to a, a brilliant start with these kinds of common good initiatives. So, Rick, welcome, and uh, please share with our audience what the overview is of We the World and the work that you've been doing. Okay, thank you. It's a, it's a great pleasure to be back on your show, Mitchell. Um, oh, thank you, Rick. 
Oh, yeah. It's always and, a pleasure uh, to have you. Yeah, no, no, it's terrific. So, um, yeah, I'll talk a little bit about 11 Days of Global Unity. Uh, it was started by my organization with our uh, global partners. My organization is We the World, um, and the website is we.net. So, you know, it's all about we, right? And yes. uh, Yeah, exactly. So It's about we um, and yes, both, actually. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> we say yes to we. So that's right. That's right. Uh, in uh, 2004, we launched 11 Days of Global Unity with the help of Desmond Tutu, who made a, a video for us, and uh, many honorary co-chairs, uh, including Jane Goodall and Deepak Chopra and uh, Marianne Williamson and Robert Thurman and Jonathan Granoff, who we will be hearing from in a few minutes. Shortly. Uh, so yeah. he helped to launch this uh, as well. And basically, uh, 11 Days, as you mentioned, is a, is a platform. It's a worldwide platform for the promotion of peace, justice, sustainability, and transformation that annually includes as many as 700 associated events in over 60 countries around the world. It goes from September 11th through September 21st, so it culminates on the International Day of Peace, which itself mm. is uh, celebrated annually by as many as 3,500 organizations in practically every every country in the world. And so, is, that, um, uh, is that major effort also something that you are, through We the World, participating in? coordinating not that number of people not but about well, 700 well, no um the uh, when i said uh, as many as 700 that refers to the events uh that are taking place specifically uh through the 11 days of global unity uh september yeah. 11th to the 21st the 21st is the international day of peace Sure, and we, the, the world, summit, is part will. of the organizing committee at the UN that kind of oversees the rollout of the uh, the International Day of Peace. Yes. Um, so I want to mention. I mean, there are some really amazing things going on this year. You know, this is the twelfth year we've been doing it, and mm -hmm. in particular, I want to mention the Compassion Games, which have made their games part of 11 days of global unity for the last few years and in, in particular this year they're calling it the global unity games and oh, um, interesting yeah very interesting and um they are basically uh, they call it a co-opetition so it's <laughs> basically cities around the world i think there's like 375 cities involved uh, that are uh, basically comparing how many hours of public service and community service people are doing. And, you know, so those are the numbers that they compare, but then they help each other to get more hours. So so even though it's it's kind of a competition, uh, they're, they're, people are helping each other. So it's, they call it a co-opetition. 
Well, and through competition, people are being yeah. challenged to do even more good through more public service, more hours. It's, exactly, uh, exactly. Yeah. And then yeah. Um, no, it's so, a winning. It's a winning recipe, for sure. It, it is. And um, another major feature of Eleven Days this year is the Eleven Days of Global Unity Telesummit of the Summer of Peace. Uh, which is a collaboration with We the World and the Shift Network. And Philip uh, will be talking more about the, the Summer of Peace and the Shift Network uh, later on the show. But I just want to mention that this Telesummit is really extraordinary. It's bringing together some of the most visionary thinkers and activists of our time, uh, including uh, Jane, Dr. Jane Goodall, Tavis Smiley, uh, Ocean Robbins, uh, Neil Donald Walsh, the Earth Guardians, um, Audrey Scott Williams, who is speaking on the theme of freedom, and she's also a guest on the show Indeed. today. So yes. um, it's really remar remarkable. And if people want more information or to sign up for any of these free, these totally free uh, events, they can go to we.net. It's very simple. And of course, um, one of the primary uh, examples of 11 Days um, events uh, is uh, going to be taking place this Friday, September 16th, and Jonathan Granoff is organizing really a historic gathering of Nobel Peace Laureate women at the UN, and he's going to speak about that when... We get Excellent. to him, but I just Excellent. wanted to mention that. So I think I um, was invited to that. Is that at the General Assembly at 9.30 a.m.? It, um, there are two. Or there is that more, in the afternoon? Yeah, no, Jonathan's is in the afternoon. We'll the 9.30 is the youth observance at the U.S. The youth service, got it. Yes, yes, yes. The, the youth but that, that's observance. just a testimony to how, how many good uh, – projects that are happening and, and activities are happening in the name of the International Day of Peace and peacemaking among our friends and colleagues and others. It's uh, exactly. remarkable. Exactly. Rick, this has been wonderful. Thank you. I, I just, before moving on right into uh, speaking with Jonathan, who I have uh, long, long appreciated for so long when we all met actually back in the mid-90s uh, in the task force for the season for nonviolence, and I've been a, a fan of his for so long, I just want to also acknowledge you, Rick Ulfick, because you have been one of those guys behind the scenes that are making so much happen and uh it's not often enough that you are acknowledged publicly for the good work that you're doing and i i really oh. my hat off to you and kudos to you truly well, for the thank you. dedication and commitment it's it's very serious yeah. thank thank you so much and i could say the same about you you've been doing a better world for for decades now i think it is right it's that's true it is 25 some odd years exactly and, there you uh, go that's why I'm going to have to live a very long life because it's going to take a while to actually complete the goals. <laughs> but, <laughs> what can I yeah. say? Exactly. Rick, thank you. We'll circle back to you shortly. Sure. Jonathan Granoff, I gave a uh, an introduction of his work uh, just a little while ago. But, Jonathan, welcome to A Better World. Such a pleasure to have you on today. Thank you. 
Thank you. Absolutely. If you would, please just share with us what your what Rick was referring to for what you're engaged in on Friday, but then I'd like to really ask you about the kind of the larger picture of what you've been focused on, I know, so for so many years on the nuclear weapon question and disarmament. I'd love to hear what you say is going on and what kind of issues you're dealing with and what kind of progress you feel, God willing, is being made. The <clears throat> forum is yours. Uh, this week, we're hosting at the United Nations three heroic women, all Nobel Peace laureates. Tabaka Carmen from Yemen, who is one of the leading voices for women's and human rights in that part of the world. Shirin Abadi, who, was, uh, who received the Nobel Peace Prize for the work that she did in a similar subject in Iran. Uh, she was one of the first female judges in Iran. And uh, Lema Gaboi, who helped bring peace uh, and end the civil war in Liberia. And mm. the, fo- the focus this year of International Day of Peace uh, is, is, it was uh, announced by the Secretary General of the United Nations, Ban Ki-moon, is the Sustainable Development Goals, which all of the nations of the world have agreed upon as the goals for real security to be obtained by 2030. It includes addressing climate, ending poverty, education for, 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 for girls, and uh, um, uh, advancing the rule of law, human rights. It's uh, protecting the environment. It's the real agenda that would bring us real security. So my goal in this event is to highlight that in order to obtain that kind of a world that, that we all deserve and the next generation deserves, a new level of cooperation has to take place amongst the nations of the world. And it is impossible, I believe, for that level of cooperation to be obtained while we're spending uh, in excess of $1.5 trillion on uh, mechanisms to kill each other, the most egregious of which is the nuclear arsenals. And yes. that that while, while, while we are preparing uh, the annihilation of creation on a daily basis with thousands of people ready to uh, launch these horrific weapons, just as they were at the height of the Cold War, under the radar and consciousness of the general public. Uh, but it is reality, and reality matters, and truth matters. Yes. As, as, we are, as we're calling for a world that would work for everybody, a world that every child, every child in every sandbox on the planet Earth knows is possible, um, we are similarly preparing for annihilation. And these two contradictory paths uh, are incompatible. And we're in a moment of crossroads in humanity, and everyone has to choose which side they're on. Mm-hmm. So I want to make it very clear that you can't, can't be for uh, a beautiful uh, environment, beautiful climate, beautiful oceans, and not stand up to the outrage of threatening to annihilate humanity with nuclear weapons. Indeed. Indeed. So you could say that the nuclear weapons threat looms large, and it's, you could say, the grossest manifestation of the military-industrial complex that is global in nature. But the, the suicide and the homicide is taking place on subtler levels as well, going down 
to, you know, the food we eat, the Monsanto Roundup that is spread across fields across the country and the world, except for those very few that are currently resisting. In other words, there's an entire mindset, Jonathan, and all that is generating this kind of negative program, this this hell-bent view for destruction based on fear. How is it that we can counter, because to counter part of it is perhaps to counter all of it, to counter, you know, the nuclear might have an effect on everything else. What are your thoughts about that? Well, I don't think it's just based on fear. It's also based on greed. Um, yes. And, it, it, and it's also based on a, on, a, on a quest for dominance, which is a kind of arrogance. Um, yes. I think, that, I think the analogy that I would give is that 30 years ago, if I had a stomachache and I went to a physician, they wouldn't ask me, how do you live? What do you eat? What's your, what's your, what are your family relations like? What, how do you sleep? Uh, let yes. me see your tongue. They would just give me a pill for my stomach. And that would be you know, what the normal, decent doctor might do. But today we've learned that the way we live, what we eat, that our whole body is integrated. And so doctors, smart doctors, take a holistic approach. They don't isolate each element of our body. Although they might end up treating something, and a great acupuncture doctor might just put one needle in to release enormous amounts of energy. But the analysis yes. has to be holistic. I think similarly we need to look at security and peace in that holistic way. So indeed, there is a dimension of food security, which means, uh, which, which means healthy food. There's a dimension of social integration of different groups into harmonious communities which means addressing prejudice and racial and ethnic arrogance. There's an aspect mm-hmm. that deals with, with spirituality, that, that our, our institutions of religions can't be based on divisiveness or competition like franchises, but really need to promote love and compassion. And security needs to be done based on realism, not ideology. The real security is a healthy oceans, healthy environment, healthy people. Um, and so we need to look at these things holistically and right now the military model is just so dominant and I think it's yeah. based on this idea of dominance of, of, of instead of instead of accepting that we are part of the web of life that we call nature uh, it's, it's not the environment Elm is a French word for neighborhood something outside of us the air is not outside of us I don't know anybody that lives with the air outside of their bodies and I, you know, it's not possible. We have to take the air into us because it's part of us. I don't know anybody yes. who water being outside of us. You drink water, yes. it flows through you, it cleanses you, and you let go of it. We are, we are one, inseparable. Our bodies are the earth body. We can't dominate nature. We have to live according to nature's rules. Now, that doesn't mean that we don't, you know, we don't have orderly planting of seeds but it means that we need to understand the limits that nature has on our conduct, just like the limits we have amongst each other. There are laws. Yes. Yes. There are laws. There are laws. That's right. By the way. The most important law is a uh, a sense of the sacred, because that's part of what it is to be human. And our economic and social order has forgotten 
the sacred web of life, the sacredness of every life, the sacredness of each life of each person listening. So people can live their lives, you know, and just be distracted by games and entertainment and forget that with deep within themselves is a sacred center that connects them with the whole. It's as Absolutely. if the waves it's as if the waves have forgotten they're part of the ocean. Yeah. <laughs> as if as if the leaves think uh, that as if each leaf thinks that it's not part of the tree. And, and that's independent. Exactly. Jonathan, and that's, I'd like to circle back with that's something. Reality. That Pardon? is. It's beautifully put. But I want to I want to take advantage of your being on the round table right now by and I I sense from Rick that your time might be somewhat limited, which is why I want to pose this question because you are so deeply and have been for probably since I've known you involved in the nuclear disarmament question. As you bear down in all of the hats you wear in this regard, do you see incremental progress being made towards some disarmament, or do you see it as currently static? I mean, I do know that President Obama speaks out of one side of his mouth saying he wants nuclear disarmament when he goes around the world, but I also know that he has dedicated some $1.2 trillion in a nuclear dis, uh, nuclear arms upgrade. So our equipment is, you know, nice and um, new and polished and shiny. So what what's the real truth here? Uh, well, first of all, you can't blame President Obama. This, this venture goes back. I didn't say blame. I'm just saying that he's the spokesperson for both sides of the schizophrenic model that you were speaking of earlier. Um, you can't jump across a chasm in two leaps. Um, if if if, Wilberfor- if Lord Wilberforce was advocating better treatment of slaves in order to get rid of slavery, which was an immoral institution, I, I think we'd still have slavery today. Um, yes. Most of the debate about nuclear weapons is fear-driven. I think it should be morality-driven. Nuclear weapons are mm-hmm. unworthy of civilization. And yes. uh, it's so distasteful, nobody wants to look at it. So there's no political constituency advocating its elimination in the nuclear weapon states. There is a global mm-hmm. movement. There, there's, you know, there's global movements outside. But the nuclear weapon states say, trust us, we have an incremental approach to getting rid of them. We want to change. We want to have a test ban treaty. We want to, uh, we want to have a treaty banning the further production of fissile material. We want to lower the political status of the weapon. And that's what they've been saying, but they're not doing any of those things. And the reason is they don't want to make a clear, unequivocal, explicit commitment to getting rid of them. And the only way to do that is to commence negotiations on a treaty to eliminate the weapons. That's the compass point. That's what every politician should be asked. Will you yes. support a treaty eliminating nuclear weapons? Let me let me just show you how absurd the situation is. Imagine if the Biological Weapons Convention, the treaty banning biological weapons that Richard Nixon uh, brought into effect, said no one can use polio or smallpox for a weapon, but we'll entrust nine countries to be able to use the plague as a weapon to uh, to ensure international peace and security. Anyone would understand that's not sustainable, it's morally incoherent, but that's precisely the regime we have with nuclear weapons. 
We say no one can have them, but nine countries can have them, and that will bring stability and security to the world. It's irrational, and it's immoral, it's illegal, and, and I think it's outrageous. And I don't understand, really, why people are silent about it. I, for one, I just can't be. It just, I think yes. it's, um, I think it's, it's, it's frightening, and we should, you know, every single emotion that God has given us has its place. And outrage is what Jesus felt when he went into the temples and he saw the money lenders. He's this outrageous. Correct. I, you know, what would what would Muhammad or Jesus or any, what would any sane person say if they faced it? They'd have to say this is outrageous. You want to kill every, if a mere 100 nuclear weapons exploded, and that's less than one percent of the 15,000 in the world civilization would end. It would drop the temp- about five tons of soot would enter the stratosphere, dropping the temperature of the planet degree to a degree and a half Celsius, um, and we wouldn't be able to do agriculture. So this is, uh, this, is an, uh, this is an engagement of the utmost folly. The good news is there is an agenda for real security, the sustainable development goals. The good news is that people want that all over the world. The bad news is they're in collective denial of the threat that hangs over all of us. I don't know what the tipping point will be when people will wake up and say, we demand some degree of sanity from our political leaders, and simply ask them three questions. What are your plans to protect, to protect the environment? Fifty percent of our oxygen comes from phytoplankton. We must protect the oceans. You can't do that at a national level. We need global cooperation. What are your plans to address poverty? For the first time in history, we have the technological and social means and resources to eliminate poverty. And, and third, what are your plans to get rid of nuclear weapons? Uh, every politician should be asked those questions. And the answers to those questions, even just asking them, would be of great value. And every person should Very ask true. themselves, every person has to ask themselves, what have I done to bring the sacred part of myself into living presence today? What have I done to bring love into action? What have I done to cleanse my heart? That's what we have to ask ourselves. Be human. Yes. Thank you. you I appreciate it. I wish we could get you onto uh, CNN (laughs) as one of the pundits asking the current uh, nominees those questions. (laughs) You've got my vote. Audrey, do I hear you piping in? I'd love to hear you uh, weigh in here. Jonathan, thank you so much for that, and we'll circle back as we can here. Yes. Well, you know, Audrey Scott Williams. And Welcome to a better world. Yes. Thank you so much, Mitchell. Um, what an incredible start to the show already. This roundtable. Um, I yes, would you. like to just come from, from the space where, you know, I I, I am both Indigenous, uh, Native American, and African, and grew up in the South and uh, was very much influenced by the civil rights era um, and the role that my parents played in it. So I sort of have walked this path of social justice and concern uh, for the least amongst us for quite a while. Uh, And I think that one of the themes I'm hearing as we look at sustainable development and the experience of this last walk, the Red Flame for Freedom, is that we're really calling forward in humanity uh, a deep level of recognition of and remembrance of who we are. And that who we are 
uh, having very deep roots in our connectedness to one another. We are the we. Um, and also that that web of us is inclusive of Mother Earth, uh, all of nature, all of life, all of its diversity, and that our way forward is our remembering that that we are a part uh, of the whole. Not um, there's not one group that has dominance, uh, uh, at least in an ideal world. So. You know, when we're walking the path, we've been walking the last six months uh, where we're raising awareness and engaging communities in dialogue on uh, what can we do to address issues of mass incarceration of children in poverty and human traffic and domestic slavery. Um, you know, there are times when I felt like, wow, this the issue was much bigger than what we realized starting. And why? Because while we, we earmarked those areas as the focal point for our walk as or our journey this time, um, as we journeyed around the country to 18 cities, what became apparent is the disparity that has been created uh, by what Jonathan called, uh, if, if I remember correctly, um, this whole dominance uh, of yes. power needs that we are experiencing, whether it's on an economic level, just purely on the sense of power and dominance. Um, one thing that we saw everywhere we went was the impact of gentrification on the displacement of populations that um, is having a devastating impact on on the poor, on 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 communities, particularly of color, and and on both having uh, communities of color and uh, and being in the lower economic strata, um, it's having yeah. an impact because populations are being displaced and they're being displaced to areas where their voices pretty much disappear. Uh, they're sort of out of sight. We're, you know, from city to city, we heard the question often ask, where are the people going? You know, where, what's happening to the people who are being displaced? That was an area of great concern for me because when people disappear from the radar, so to speak, um, we have to be concerned about their level of care, their level of, of that they're able to provide for themselves, access to employment and housing and good health, and then um, the increased capacity for them to be exploited and uh, become more and more vulnerable to the systems of of human trafficking and mass incarceration, uh, and so lack of education, all of that uh, creates. And that's not to say that this is a population that doesn't have a mind of its own. So I don't mean to speak to that this issue in any marginalizing way. I'm just simply trying to say, you know, we have to look at the bigger perspective of the picture. So yes, exactly. Yeah, I'd like and to so just add. I mean, I'd like to just ask you here. First of all, um, I, I, a resoundingly favorable decision was made recently, bringing up President Obama again. And I wasn't blaming him before. He's the spokesperson, as far as I'm concerned. <clears throat> he's more or less a puppet of powers that are much greater than him, and every president is. Uh, that's that's a whole other conversation. But uh, the pr surprising announcement that f 
the privatization of prisons, of federal prisons, I should say, uh, was coming to an end. I was so pleased to hear that. I didn't know such a thing was even being considered because of the power of the prison lobby, you know, the private prison lobbies. And that was so wonderful. I'm wondering, you being on the front lines as you are, Audrey, what do you see happening? Is there a movement, as I was asking Jonathan, is there a movement toward the good in general that you see on the level of mass incarceration? Um, Or do you see it actually getting worse, maybe soon on the federal level improved, but on the state level, what is it that you see? I think that, um, first of all, I, I was very uh, excited and uh, encouraged by the announcement of removing the private prison system from the federal prison system. Um, however, you know, my prayer is that it trickles down into local and state governments because the worst abuse uh, in the prison system is at the, the state and local levels. Yeah, uh, yeah. Where there is That's less, why I'm asking. Uh, you know. Yeah, yeah. So how, what do I think? I think that it's a first step. But I think we have to be diligent in terms of reaching into the communities that uh, we need to hear their stories. You know, when we were in San Francisco, we saw a play called The Box. And if you have an opportunity to see it, it was written by um, uh, Sarah Stroud, who was um, herself uh, in solitary confinement for over 400 days when she was caught in Iran. But this is a play about solitary confinement, and so it really touches the heart. And that's what we need to do. We need to think of things on a, on a very human level. See, I, I kind of counter the whole notion of power being at the top. I think when we all believe it, then that's what it is. But the people at local grassroots level have a tremendous amount of power. And it's the people at the local levels who are going to make the difference in ending the injustices of the criminal justice system and the system of corrections that exist mm. at the state and local government. And yes. to the, the tipping point, I think, at that level comes when we decide we have to get engaged in something, some aspect of this, whether we are, we are volunteering in the prison system, whether we are lobbying <clears throat> local politicians, uh, or whatever it is that we feel called to do, just as with human trafficking, if we, you know, what really confounded me on our journey often is that all everybody knows where these things are happening for the most part. Now, not everything, but there, there are places that are consistently uh, uh, frequented by individuals who are taking advantage of the human trafficking as far as sex trade is concerned. It's no mystery to the to the legal to the uh, law enforcement. It's no mystery to the communities, and yet they continue to exist. And so then, now what we are seeing emerging, though, and this is getting back to your question, the positive aspect of what is emerging is that people are now becoming more aware. They're volunteering to go into these areas and help expose, and even re- uh, help. Uh, uh, in the rescue and education of the community around what to look for in in 
sex trafficking and labor trafficking of of uh, domestic slaves who are brought into either agricultural industry or into the housing, you know, home care uh, providing uh, kinds of services. So the the key there is that the public is becoming engaged. If we're sitting and waiting for the laws to change, we're going to miss that opportunity. And, and when that tipping point comes, it may not be what we wanted to see. And I think that goes across the board uh, from human rights to nuclear disarmament to everything. We have to raise up from the inside out. And that's, to me, the power and the excitement of working in the realm of the we because it's yes. when we start to share our stories and we start to share our journeys, and then we start to get involved with each other's movements, then we begin to awaken uh, uh, the core that needs to be awakened so that we can say, no, this isn't right, and this isn't going to happen that way, and we're seeing this happen right now in Standing Rock, you know? So um, there are examples of things that are happening that are – you know, people are taking it into their own hands. Social media is allowing us to do that beautifully. But we have yes. to be engaged. We have to keep learning. We have to be willing to look at where we've made mistakes and how do we do it better when we all come together for the next thing. Beautiful, beautiful. Thank you so much. I so appreciate what you're doing and what you're up to and saying here. I, you're reminding me of uh, one of my favorite film clips. I think it was of. Paul Hawken at the Bioneers Conference, speaking about his book, Blessed Unrest. Uh, And uh, one of the things he says is that if we could chart, just write down and run a roll of the number of organizations that are doing good, social enterprise companies, nonprofits, NGOs, across the world, across the whole planet, they number in the millions. I think the list would stretch from the earth all the way out to the moon and back some, you know, extraordinary geographical distance. And it's really a mind turner when you contemplate how much good on the ground that's being discussed here by you and all that is actually taking place and it rarely reaches the airwaves because when people come on these airwaves and hear about what's going on, it's sort of like a healthy contagion. You know, everybody wants to be part of the cure, of the healing, of the upgrade, you know, of humanity. And that's I, I just love what I do, frankly, to have people like all of you on to talk about the good that's being done because, you know, it's like a love yeah. contagion. Everybody wants to have feel that and be part of it, so... Audrey, thank you for, Mr. for Mayor, sharing. And, may I, yeah. Sure. May I add one other thing before before we move on? I just want to, oh, to yes. say, I think it's also important that we are also checking each other on this path. It's one thing to have a love fest and feel good about what we are doing. It's another yes. to feel good about what we're doing and making sure we're doing the work, that we're, we're actually – engaged in a process of uh, of revealing what needs to be revealed and healing what needs to be healed and celebrating what needs to be celebrating and, and owning our own stuff. You know, 
of Americans, yep. I think we have we have a tremendous, tremendous uh, uh, opportunity now to own our own privilege and to use that privilege in a way that benefits all. Not fucking guilt, shame, and blame, but how do we how do we use this privilege now to bring a better world in? And as we do, the privilege dissolves and the we truly emerges to the next octave or the next round. Yes, I agree. I agree. In other words, uh, let's just, you know, in sum, the importance of self-reflection on our own actions as well as our own thoughts, feelings, and intentions are the groundwork of what makes our ability to be effective in the macro level uh, valuable. Yeah. I, I think that that's yeah. really so important. Otherwise, there's something we call the shadow that will track us down and uh, be with us wherever we go for not paying attention right. to that level. Absolutely. Yeah. No, and stepping out of our own comfort years, zone. I appreciate it. Yeah. Yeah, stepping out of exactly. our comfort zone and, get, and engaging. Absolutely. I just wanted to make sure that, that we said that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Philip Helmut, how are you? So good to have Hi, you Mitch. on again. Yeah, Mitch, it's really nice to be here. And of course, I just want to thank you for hosting this call, inviting us, and all that you're doing with the Better World. And and also, it's just a real delight to hear Rick, Jonathan, and Audrey Scott speak. I uh, just all filled with heart and brilliance. So, thank you for convening yeah. us. Absolutely, I'm so glad everyone could uh, convene. And uh, it's so good. We're all living such busy lives. And yet, as was being suggested in the conversations with Rick, Jonathan, and Audrey, you know, this is our time. This is our moment. This is our opportunity. And this is what really moves our hearts is conversations, dialogues like this uh, to help create a better world in the respective ways that we're all engaged. So. Absolutely. Philip, please, if you would, share with us what you're seeing on the ground through your eyes, what it is you're seeing. Sure. Well, a couple of things. One, one I just want to mention, there's a quote that I love from Belko Ripper, who's a, a film uh, filmmaker from Canada. He says, the world is getting better and better, worse and worse, faster and faster. <laughs> and, yes. And, yes. and, you know, so in terms of your question, are things getting better, are they getting worse? You know, it seems like all of that is true. But one of the things we've been doing here at the Shift Network the last five years. The best of times, very, as, as Dickens said, the best of times and the worst of times, you know. Yeah. It's always coinciding. And, yeah. Yeah. And And what – what we've been doing here the last five years is really in a systematic way mapping out what's emerging in relation to peace from inner to international. And we've created a world peace library, which has a bird's eye view. Of, there's over 375 interviews there now. Summer of Peace, we've got another 75 interviews we'll be adding to that. And we've been really looking at, um, you know, what's a broader understanding of peace? And Steve Kilalea, who was the... Um, founder of the Global Peace Index, you know, said it really well. He said, like, there's 108 words for peace in Sanskrit, or, or love in Sanskrit, 99 names of God in Islam, 14 words for beauty in Japanese, and yet we've got one word for peace, you know. If yeah. Socrates just said, you can't really discuss something unless you have a language for it. And, and he pointed out we're really at the beginning of understanding the many different ways that peace is approached. So in doing these, many, many of these interviews and starting to lay them out in this 
in this framework in the World Peace Library, we can see that over the particular last few decades, there's been an exponential growth of, of, of different types of approaches to peace in the inner dimension, the spread of mindfulness meditation, yoga practices, um, and then also the scientific research on the benefit of these and benefits of compassion and altruism and how we're hardwired for those. So all of those things have been happening, and meanwhile, there's been an exponential growth and the interpersonal, the spread of nonviolent communication and a whole range of different technologies that are helping people communicate better with one another. And then you move up to the school level, and then there's, there's all kinds of different curricula being brought into schools, mediation, peer mediation, a whole range. And, and it keeps going all the way up to um, international and then ultimately relationship with the environment. And there's often a... A, a creative dynamic where the ancient wisdom, particularly indigenous um, peoples, really bring in quite a bit of ancient wisdom. Some of the yogic practices and, and spiritual are converging, converging with the scientific research in these dynamic ways. And then we're hearing conversations where, where people normally wouldn't ex- expect them, such as Colonel Puck Nickleby, uh, you know, who was on assignment in the Pentagon to create a new new strategy for the United States and came out and said, we don't need a new strategy. We need a new narrative. We've got to move away from this dominance, in dominance and control from the Cold War to being, you know, living by our morals and ethics and, and having credibility in the world and focus on climate change being one of the greatest threats to national security in the United States. So. Sure. So, the, so from the bird's eye view, like it's like Edgar Mitchell when he's out in space looking from the Earth. From a bird's eye view, you can, we can see that there's a lot emerging, and we can also see there's a lot of incredible challenges. And I'm really grateful that Jonathan has given voice to the nuclear threat, which is probably one of the biggest threats right now. And also Audrey with the fact you know, that sure. there's more people in slavery today than ever. So, yeah. so we can see that there's a lot of turmoil, but... Um, you know, we can, we can also see that there's a, pro, a trajectory where this is a, you know, people in the yoga tradition would say we're in a period when this, this, there's a real danger and there's also a lot of breakthroughs that's happening with technology that allows us to have much more dynamic advances. So it's a real tenuous time and, and with, with the dangers and at the same time there's a lot that's happening that's being accelerated through technology, through social media, and so forth, that can really get the positive aspects moving. Also, so that's that's a, and and you know with the um, so we've got the WorldPeaceLibrary.com and then Summer Peace this year uh, with Rick Alfick. We have the 11 Days of Global Unity Summit. We also focused on a, a partnership with Peace Jam, uh, and you know they were with the 13 Nobel laureates looking at peace in everyday life. Uh, we partnered with Stanford University, the Center for Compassion Altruism Research on a Global Compassion Summit. And and then we also had a really powerful summit with the Alliance for Peace Building looking at countering violent extremism, you know, understanding the root causes of violent extremism and what are the practical ways to address those. So I know that's a lot of information. Oh, I mean, oh, my God, this is where I really appreciate both Jonathan and, and, and Audrey talking about, you know, we really need to take a holistic approach and really understand, you know, why, what draws a person to creating these acts of violence? You know, what, what is the sense of marginalization that's happening? What, where are the, um, where's mm-hmm. the feeling of being, dis- being disempowered? Or, and where, where does, 
you know, social, social pressures. Yeah. yeah. And so there's, so there's quite a quite a bit there. And I, I mean, for people who are listening, the two websites I would, I would point out is summerpeace.net, and you can go and listen to any of these any of these interviews for free um, if it's part of our philanthropic effort, and then also the World Peace Library. And, and, and with that said, there's some really innovative people and a lot of folks involved in these conversations with the military, with groups from the Alliance for Peacebuilding and Search for Common Ground or others are really trying to look at what are ways that we can address these root causes to violent extremism. And, and by shining a light on these innovative conversations, it helped people move beyond the short sound bites that we see, um, you know, it, it, there's there's just got to be there's got to be the space in media for more thoughtful conversations and just not go off on knee-jerk reactions on you know short sound bites and so forth. Absolutely, absolutely. That's why we have alternative media where we can actually develop some ideas instead of just go for uh, nanosecond sound bites. Right. Because I mean, this is our lives. As Jonathan very elegantly stated, you know, these questions, shouldn't we all be asking ourselves these questions every single day? I mean, I, I, I do in one form or another. I feel very, very yeah. connected, and I think all of us here in this roundtable feel the same way. We, we wake up into these questions and who am I and what am I going to do about the resolution of these questions, the favorable resolution that is, every day. Right. You know, this is sort of yes. this is what our lives are actually about. So that's what I hear you saying as well, Philip yes. and I, it, I know it, your it, life it, is it, testament to that. And the key yeah. one of the things we've been trying to do is really is 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 to and learn this from Rick Alfick is to inform, to inspire, inform, and involve. Like when watching the news, I, it, it can be paralyzing sometimes. You know, the world can seem so messed up, so overwhelmed. The problem is so complex, so overwhelming that you know there can be fear and contraction. And so I think the key is, and what we're doing in this program and others is, is to help people identify a with the hope. And, and the inspiration, and then what are what are tools and aspects, you know, that they can start to apply. Each of us can start to apply in our own lives, and and to make the emerging peace building approaches relevant into day to day lives. Because a lot of people, I mean, are working to feed their families. You know, there's a lot of stress, and and so it's like we really got to have a lot of compassion for everyone, and really start highlighting making peace relevant to day-to-day life. And one of the things I think is really beautiful trends that are emerging, there's more and more people that are really acknowledging the importance of the inner foundation in terms of any type of outward action, taking meaningful action. And, and, and I think that's a really beautiful intersection that, you know, Gandhi certainly embodied it and many, many indigenous elders over the years, but there's more and more recognition in that in the, in slowly emerging in the mainstream. And I think we just really need to keep fostering that. But we like to say is inner peace is a global responsibility. And, yes. and you know, for I two like reasons. That. A, yeah. yeah, because two reasons. A, when there's That's lack a of inner peace. That's a beautiful way of putting it. Yeah. Yeah, when there's lack of inner peace, we contribute to a consumption model that contributes to environmental degradation and also to geopolitical conflicts over resources. And the second part is when we start to tap into that inner peace, we're really tapping into our core essence, if you will, our soul essence, which is part of a larger universal 
essence, and there's deep wisdom. It awakens compassion, and it provides guidance on how to act in meaningful ways that also benefits the larger whole. So in that sense, inner peace is, is a critical global responsibility at this point because the more and more each of us can tap into it, the more each of us can be guided in our own unique way where we are right now to take meaningful action in, in some ways that will have a greater positive influence on, on, on more and more people. Absolutely. Beautifully put. Thank you very much, Philip. I really yeah. appreciate it. I'm reminded as I'm listening to uh, of an image that comes from the book by Herman Hess that I'm sure we all read, Siddhartha. When Siddhartha feels called to leave the family home and strike out on his own in search of the meaning of life, and uh, his father says, you're too young. No way, young man. Go back to your duties and your studies and all of that, and one day the day will come. And, and Siddhartha refused and just stood in the doorway, if you recall this image, uh, this moment, uh, refused to listen to his father. He wasn't being rude. He just stood, darkening the uh the door of his father's room and he stood there in silence waiting and waiting and waiting until his father got the message that this is what the young Siddhartha had to do for his own next step. So I'm bringing that forward in light of this roundtable discussion and in particular I'd like to first although each of you can answer yourself, uh, Jonathan Grenoff, when you are doing the work you're doing, meeting with the people that you meet with, and I imagine some of them are uh, rather power-wielding politicians on one level of government or agencies or another, uh, if not our own direct senators and representatives. When you pose these questions about the utter complete madness that having a nuclear arsenal still in place across the world, I'm wondering if some of that image of Siddhartha, if you could sit it out and you're looking eye to eye, you're belly to belly with these people, is that a way to help them in their conscience awaken it and turn a corner? What are your thoughts? Well, it's never that simple. First, nobody cares about how much you know until you show that you care about them. Mm, yes. And you have to meet each of them at the level of their real concern. So some of them are just concerned about getting reelected because it's like a job. It's yes. real. One of the programs that the Global Security Institute, where I serve as president, has is Parliamentarians for Nuclear Nonproliferation and Disarmament. Because, because it's really reminding politicians today that they're – their decisions impact generations to come and have a global impact when often, at least in the United States, they're elected largely on sex and taxes, whereas, yes. whereas the responsibilities are larger. So you've got to, like, sort of walk them, walk them to opening their perspective. But the real problem they have is they've adopted the adage, the old Roman adage, prepare for peace receive war, prepare for war, receive peace. 
the idea is that only through strength and dominance is peace obtained. So you explain to them that the Marshall Plan worked, that the inspectors in the UN system worked in Iraq, that the business community operates based on the rule of law, that we were able to move from city states to nations. Now we have to have a global perspective. You have to change their lens and then let them come to conclusions. And one of the things about these kind of people is they themselves, they're, they're, it, nobody, nobody, uh, nobody washes a rental car. They have to feel they own, they own the position. Mm-hmm. So it, it, it takes real, uh, you know, real empathy. You know, all the qualities, empathy, understanding. If you want to change somebody's perspective, just challenging them on the facts rarely works. It's, you know, it rarely works. It's the rare politician that really is able to look at these issues maturely. Um, so, yeah, so, yeah, but sometimes, sometimes you just have to speak truth to power and say, are, you know, have you no shame? That's what I'm yes. waiting for somebody to say to Donald Trump. You know, have you no shame? Yes. Because, you know, there's a place where you can dialogue and there's a place where you just have to say, that's just not true. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yes, exactly. Also, I, I think that the sad truth is he has no shame. He doesn't yeah, actually I, probably understand the concept. Yeah. So I also, also I'm not being really rude when I say that. I'm. I don't mean to be rude. I mean I actually <laughs> think that's the case. You know. It's also really important to have a sense of perspective that we just kind of work here, and it's a privilege to serve the greater love, and to you know. It's a privilege to be able to see this wholeness of life and to serve it. And if we take it on ourselves and say, oh, I'm going to save the world, and you succeeded, just think of the arrogance of that. And then oh, think, boy. Then just think of the shame for every setback. So it, it just has to be in the present. This is my opportunity, my opportunity to serve if I'm a teacher, a mother, a doctor, whatever I'm doing to bring that excellence of good qualities to the table. Mm. Words of wisdom. Yes, please. Uh, Um, Consider it open for anyone to jump in here and share. Yeah. Please, Audrey. um, Philip, you mentioned the inner peace model, and that's so important. And we've seen so many examples of inner city uh, uh, communities where a small group of people started doing yoga and they're impacting the schools. Mindfulness Me in Baltimore, where students, instead of getting sent to the principal's office, are being sent, are sent to the mindfulness room to do to learn and practice meditation, and it's making a big difference. Um, but I also wanted to just uh, add to that part of the conversation that one of the things that we saw in in traveling the way we did on this journey is that there is this overwhelming sense in some communities of traumatic stress syndrome, and I don't even think mm. post-traumatic is in the moment, as mm. uh, there's so many different issues that communities are combating from, uh, uh, you know, educate, lack of education, uh, good education and health care and all of these life-sustaining basic needs, if you're thinking about my, Maslow's, you know, theory. Um, but I, I think what's really important for those of us who are out there doing the work is to always uh, be reminded that we have to tell those stories also, feeding them into the loop, because 
it's very difficult sometimes for us to hear these stories because it does remind us of, of our own potential vulnerability. But if we're mm. going to heal the whole, we have to make sure that the whole is representative. The we has to be everybody. And we have to learn the language at every level that works to convey the stories and to share what is happening at the very deep levels where if we're going to impact change, it will require changes, at, not in just governmental institutions, but in, in the mindset of all of us, regardless of which way we are. And when we can be loyal to that in building the new global community and, and continue to show up together, sometimes stepping on each other's toes, but continuing to have the dialogue until we begin to see each other for who we are, and together we have the chance of, of making the shift. But I think it's really important for us to recognize that even the language we choose may not be representative of every group. So when we mm-hmm. talk about issues, if I want to convey the importance of nuclear weapons in a very poor commu- urban community or, or rural community, I've got to also show how what they're going through, they're going through a nuclear holocaust every day and, you know, in the mm. sense of what they were confronting. So how do we make these issues be able to speak to everybody so that we, we, we can tell the stories that can lift us up, sharing the stories of the people so that we can be loyal to the building of what Martin Luther King and, and Josiah Royce called the beloved community? Mm. Beautiful. Beautiful. Thank you. Uh, Rick or Jonathan, would you like to uh, weigh in here? Yeah. Well, uh, Rick here. Um, this has been such a wonderful uh, conversation, and uh, it's so uh, inspiring to hear what everybody's doing and, and saying. And I wanted to mention about the idea of we. It's come up a few times, and mm-hmm. we're looking at this as an important communication for our culture to have this kind of cultural shift towards we. And when we talk about we, uh, we're talking about a consciousness, a collaboration, and a campaign. Uh, This is what we're doing with We the World. Um, Because we, we feel that in order for us to have this kind of culture where that we're talking about where people value each other as part of a larger we not just our families and our loved ones but a larger we that includes the entire web of life um that we need to actually uh get that idea out there and have it and model it in our work and in the ways that we collaborate with our organizations. So we, as a consciousness, is this idea of making a shift from I to we so that our individual actions and attitudes um, from our individual level to our policy level, we're expanding our circles of caring and concern and empathy as uh, as a few people were, were talking about, to include mm-hmm. the whole web of life. Then we as a collaboration 
in order for us to actually make the kinds of changes that we're talking about, like uh, abolishing nuclear weapons and making sure that poverty ends instead of just like incrementally trying to deal with it, uh, we will need to have a, a kind of a, a, an unprecedented collaboration between change makers and the the groups that are working on the ground. So it's like a multi-movement collaboration in order to make this change. Yeah. Multimodal and multi-movement because mm -hmm. we have the environmentalists very often in silos. You know, they're, the environmentalists are over here, the human rights people are over there, the poverty people are in a different place, the spiritual people are hovering over the whole thing, and they're not always working together. So, no, and um, no, it's that's too modest. They're usually not working together, and as was raised uh, in today's roundtable, they can often be at odds with each other. Odd as that may sound, because we're all working toward a similar goal. So it's uh, exactly. that's part of I think what Audrey was referring to as the as the shadow side of the the good worker so to speak you know we in the beehive doing what we can to make a better world and at the same time we have a shadow following us for not cleaning up our own act so that phrase that philip quoted i thought was beautiful uh, inner peace is a uh, kind of a, a global requirement you know for global peace i i i paraphrased i'm sorry for messing up the actual quote. But that idea is so vitally important. Make sure your own home is in order before you seek to help your neighbor, you know. Exactly. And and it's a two-way street uh, because when people are taking some kind of action and contributing to a better world, then uh, they have more meaning and purpose in their lives. And uh, that's that's fulfilling a, a need that that I believe is innate to all human beings, the need yes. for contribution and, and service. And uh, so, but uh, anyway, so the, this idea of we uh, is is a fairly deep con concept that will allow us all to uh, begin to to work in a way that. Uh, where we realize that we're all part of this greater whole. And uh, I don't know yes. if Jonathan remembers this, but when we launched the WE campaign, uh, you remember, Jonathan, uh, the keynote uh, that you did? The last thing you said was, I hope that WE expands so much that there is no longer any them. <laughs> well, that, that's actually that's that's actually the wave remembering it's part of the ocean. Yes, exactly. Uh huh. Uh huh. Exactly. It's a, a deep spiritual, and if I'm not mistaken, Jonathan, Sufi perspective. <laughs> I appreciate I think, that. I, I think it's quite in harmony with Confucianism, Buddhism, Taoism, Christianity, Islam, Judaism. And if I forgot any, I apologize. 
<laughs> yes, Native American and indigenous. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I agree with you exactly. I, you know what? It's actually a phys, uh, It's a. Uh, it also happens to be a uh, principle in physics, both classical and quantum. So, very yeah. good. Well, listen, I, if each, each of you could take about 30 seconds just in closing and just offer, if you would, our audience some um, message of peace, a message of hope, uh, or recommendation, that would be great. If you would start, Jonathan, and we'll then go to Audrey and Philip. There is a formless, perfect power that gives consciousness to our life, that causes our heart to beat. You can't touch without it, and yet you can't touch it. You can't see without it, yet you cannot see it. You can't know without it, yet it is not an object, and yet it is closer to us than our very breath. It is the light of our own being. And that light of being sustains all life, and it has gifted us with intelligence that allows us to create or destroy, and it gives us love that turns us toward creativity. I pray that all of us will allow that love to guide that great mystery of the consciousness and life of our lives itself into ways that enhance, that, that, that magnify, that amplify, and that create the wonder of being a student. Beautiful. Beautiful. Jonathan Granoff, thank you again for being here today and for all of the good work that you have been doing for decades on behalf of creating a better world and creating a better planet. Thank you. Audrey, please, 30 seconds. Oh, uh, so last thoughts, feelings for our audience. Sure. There's so much that could be said. Um, I just want to say that this roundtable represents such a strong we as we think about a better world and I'm with the United Religions Initiative and uh, uh, Season for Nonviolence, the Shift Network and We the World and, and the International Day of Peace and 11 Days of Global Unity. What a powerful we. And I just want to center in that space because when I'm out there walking and I feel sometimes a sense of what am I doing comes upon me. It's remembering the people who are out there on a global scale and at the grassroots level. We are doing the work, and when we come together, you know, we, we should never underestimate the power that we are. And so I just wanted to say that if we just live in that space, and when we get, just take your shoes and socks off and go stand on Mother Earth real fast. And, and so mm. that's what I want to say. And everybody counts. Everybody counts, and we can change Beautiful. human trafficking and, and slavery in this world by becoming aware and taking a stand. Thank you. God bless. Thank you, Audrey Scott Williams. Keep up the good work. It's beautiful, brilliant, and absolutely needed. Philip, Thank you. Yeah, it's similar to Jonathan and Audrey here. You know, anytime feeling overwhelmed, I would just invite people to take their shoes off, feel the earth, and if it's night and you can, look up and look at the stars and just get a sense of the expansiveness of the universe, feeling the connection with the earth, breathing from the heart, and that realizing when you breathe through the heart, it's the same frequency as the center of the earth. 
and that there is an intelligence guiding billions of galaxies, manifesting the Earth. This intelligence has been manifesting for 13.8 billion years at least. If, you know, it's probably beyond that. And that we can really feel our connection with that intelligence then we bring that into our day-to-day actions. And know everybody we meet is also an expression of that universal intelligence. And just look at how we can serve in the moment to lift up whatever is brought in front of us because whatever is brought in front of us is brought in front of us because of this universal intelligence. So let's serve and love it in whatever form or shape it comes. Beautiful, beautiful. Philip, thank you so much for being on the show again. It's yeah. always lovely yeah, to you, have Mitchell. you. And, uh, just a thank you to all of you, Rick Alfick, to start with, and uh, each of you contributed something special to tonight's roundtable. And uh, may this go through the airwaves into the quantum field to affect the lives and hearts of many people so we can live a richer life and deal with some of these grueling issues that we have all dealt with from social injustice to the nuclear arms race and all of the dichotomies and polarities that we are facing. But uh, we are the warriors, and we will continue forward. So thanks again, each and every one of you, Rick Ulfick, for the good work you're doing, and all. And I look forward to our continuing on this dialogue at another time. Okay. Thank you so much, right. each of you. Thank you all. Thank you. Much okay. love. Good night now. Thank Bye-bye. you. Good night. This is Mitchell. Bye-bye. Good night now. This Thank has you. been the 11 Days of Global Unity Roundtable here on A Better World Radio. We're on every Wednesday at 6 p.m. live. And, of course, you can listen anytime uh, in archive at www abetterworld.tv that's abetterworld.tv there's an archive uh, link there and you can hear any number of our different shows that have been uh, made their podcasts over the course of at this point many many years and uh, we welcome your participation. A Better World is also a 501c3 a non-profit organization and we we sustain through your kindness and generous offerings. I'd like to say that you are investing in a better world. And indeed, that's what we represent here, as you can tell. And please contact me if you are able to make any kind of contribution that are tax deductible at mjr at abetterworld.net, mjr at abetterworld.net, or call 212-420-0800. Also, I love receiving your comments of the different shows. It's so helpful to me and helps me learn about how to guide these discussions to a point where they're even more alive and more engaged and more interesting to you. So on that note, thank you again for joining today. And make sure to send the link off to your friends and let them participate in hearing, through hearing, uh, all of the wisdom that is shared on these airwaves with our various wonderful guests. Today, Rick Ulfick, Jonathan Granoff, Audrey Scott-Williams, Philip Helmick, 
everybody is doing such wonderful work and uh, deeply we appreciate it here at A Better World and I look forward to seeing you all next week.